And is uh, who is who on that? The Gospel Conversations Workshop this Saturday, I really want to encourage uh, as many of you as can come out as you can. Only uh, 2% of the body of Christ shares their faith, which is a travesty, and we've got to fix that. And if you're one of those who are really intimidated to step out and share your faith, this workshop is for you, and it will give you a lot of different ways to do it. And I'm telling you, once you activate in the Great Commission, you're going to experience the presence of God and the power of God, unlike any other way that you experience it, because that is our calling, is to go into the whole world and share the gospel with every person that we can. And so once you activate that, once you step out in obedience, you're going to find the Holy Spirit moving inside of you in a, in a pretty dramatic way. And more importantly, you're going to find people saying yes to Jesus because you stepped out, and there's nothing more exhilarating on this side of heaven. I have, I have never experienced a joy that trumps that joy is when that somebody comes to Christ, I get to pray with them. It is, it, I mean, you just change their eternal destiny. There's nothing that can compare to that on this side of heaven. And so this, this Saturday, the workshop is designed uh, specifically for those of you that have trouble sharing your faith and it will help you do it in a more natural way and, uh, I know you'll be um, well-equipped when you walk out of that place. So, this morning, I get to, once again, uh, teach. We're out, of, we're out of our Roman series, and so now we are into um, we're into a message that I started last week on befriending God, and I'm really looking forward to continuing it. Last week, I only did point one, I had two points, and so... I want to jump back into this because I believe that this is the kernel, this is the core, the very epicenter of God's intent for you and I as His creation. The reason He created us was I don't believe it was for work, I don't believe it was for service, primarily. I think it was for friendship, intimacy, relationship fellowship with God. Secondarily, we get to do stuff with Him that's pretty cool. But so often we put the cart before the horse because it's safer, it's more comfortable, God's a little intimidating sometimes, we feel shame, and so we create this distance between us and God. Even after you become a Christian, we put Christian service in between our relationship, with in between us and God because keeping Him at a safe distance makes us feel more comfortable. And yet that is not why God created you and I, which is why we live, even as believers, with a deep dissatisfaction, a lack of contentment, I believe. And so that's why I want to strike this. I have this opportunity last week and this week to teach whatever I want to teach. And this is what rose up in my heart. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. I got so much feedback from some of you last week. And, uh, but it's also because this is, I believe, the solution to so many people's spiritual health. And so I want to look at this again, and uh, I want to just open up with a, the same premise, which is, I believe befriending God is going to elevate the joy in your life and deepen the peace in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, which we all deal with. But this right here is home base. This is where you can refer back to when uh, life is not going well and when life is going well. I believe there are four levels of relationship. I want you to look at these with me. 
I believe the first level of relationship is an acquaintance. And that is somebody that you've said, oh, hi, my name's John. Oh, hi, my name's Susie. And you meet each other in an acquaintance, and, and that's about it. It's just an acquaintance. I've seen them from afar before. And that is the relationship many people have with God. I've heard about them, uh, and that's pretty much it. You know, my grandma, she's told me that there's a guy named Jesus, and you know, good for her. It's kind of an acquaintance. Then the next level would be familiarity, and that is maybe uh, like somebody you work with, and you're familiar with them. You see them, you know, they walk down the hallway, they work in that office down there, or maybe a classmate, or uh, maybe somebody uh, in some other arena of maybe somebody in church. It's like, yeah, I'm familiar with that person. We've talked a couple of times. I kind of know, I think that's their husband right there. They got a couple of kids, and so you're familiar with this person, and that's about as far as that goes. It's a friend of a friend. And then the next level would be camaraderie, and this is a level where maybe you're doing a project together at work. And so you're working together, you know each other, you know each other's skill sets, you respect each other's skill sets, maybe you're on a sports team, and so you uh, have camaraderie. And uh, boy, I mean, you guys are in the trenches together, you know each other at that level Maybe you're in ministry together, you're on a ministry team, you're on the worship team. There's a camaraderie. We have the same goal. We're after it together. We're mixing our passions and our gifts together. But, it's, but when, the, when the worship's over or when you go home from work or when the, when the game is over, you don't text the person, call the person, get together with the person after you're done working on the project. It's just camaraderie. And I believe that's where a lot of us are, again, with God. I think most of us either at the acquaintance level with God, the familiar, familiarity level, and you, you can detect that when somebody calls God the man upstairs, right? You, that's usually an indicator of uh, where they're at in their relationship with God. Um, or the camaraderie piece where we are, like this workshop, you know, the evangelism workshop we're doing this Saturday. That's a camaraderie piece. That's the great commission. We're on a mission together with Christ. And again, I've already stated that's a, very, that's a comfort zone. For many of us, we're working, well, some are working for God. I think it's better to say we're working with God to save the world. But then there's this next level, and it's the level that Jesus lived at. And that's why he called God Abba, not Father, all thou to most high. No, he called him Dad. (laughs) Isn't that startling called him daddy abba this intimacy piece in a human relationship would be after you've left the office after you've left the sports uh arena and you and your buddy comes over and you hang together and you watch movies together and you start talking on a deeper level and you learn about their dreams you learn about their fears you learn about their hopes you're fighting for them you're rooting for them you know they are the one that you stand with when everybody else walks out. I mean, you're there with them through thick and thin. And you can only have a few of those kind of relationships in life. And the reason is because this level of relationship, these kind of relationships take two things. They take time and they take trust. And this is the kind of relationship the Lord wants to have with you. And time and trust are two hurdles for us. The time is a real issue. Again, for those that say, I don't have time to be in the Bible, time to pray, Facebook and Instagram have proved you wrong. 
So you cannot use that excuse anymore. The trust issue is a deeper issue, I think, for most of us. Again, getting close to God can be a fearful thing unless we know him and understand him. That he is the God of love. And I'm talking about a love that we all hunger for at the deepest level of our human capacity. And those who have experienced the love of God, it's hard to even put it into human terminology. The Bible says it this way, perfect love, which is God's kind of love, the Apostle John was writing, perfect love or perfect understanding of the knowledge of God's love casts out all fear. That's pretty powerful love. I mean, human love doesn't cast out all fear. Human love's got jealousy mixed up in it. It still has insecurity mixed up in it. It still has, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but I'm not quite sure if you're going to be there for me, even though you said I do. I mean, our human love is fickle, it's frail. God's love casts out all fear. It is a supernatural love. And for those who have experienced this love, you know what I'm talking about. It is overwhelming. We don't experience it every day, all day long, which is unfortunate, sort of, because I've experienced it at times. And it literally wrecks you. You can't really function. Because it is, it's so overwhelming to our humanity, our soul. It is so free and it's so liberating. But I'm telling you that for me, the, the residual effect of having these kind of experiences, encounters with the actual love of God poured out by the Holy Spirit, which is available to all of us. God wants us all to experience it. I have found that the residual effect is that the fear of man decreases significantly. And that's freedom. Not caring about what other people think. That's the Instagram is disastrous to self-esteem and the sense of worth. The FOMO, the fear of missing out. I mean, this social media has so fed into the psyche, especially of young people, where they, 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 you know, they don't look perfect. They don't act perfect. They don't have all the perfect friends doing all the perfect things, eating all the perfect food all the time, which nobody is. And yet this is the persona that social media allows us to present. Yet when you and I experience, not just theologically hear about like you are right now, but you personally experience the love of God, all that stuff is like, just like, like dust in the wind. It's so freeing. It's just... It is amazing. But God does not want you and I just experiencing these moments of his presence, which is really what I'm talking about, coming through the avenue of friendship. He doesn't just want us experiencing this when we come together as a body or in a connect group or at a special prophetic meeting or a worship conference. A friend... A true friend that's with you, wherever you go, you get to experience each other's company 
all the time. You're texting each other. You're talking to each other. You're walking with each other. You're eating with each other. You don't have to go with your friend to a special meeting to experience your camaraderie, your intimacy, your friendship with a friend. And this is what God is offering you and I. He wants you and I to experience His presence 24-7 through the vehicle and avenue of friendship. So there's two things that help us cultivate the kind of relationship I'm talking about with God. One we looked at last week, so I'm not going to expound uh, a lot on it. I'm going to move to the second point, which is critically important. But the first point is that you and I must learn to be aware of God's presence. And all I want to say about this is, is this. God seems, though, though God is an extrovert and an introvert and everything in between, because God is God and we're all made in His image, so we're all a piece of Him. I find Him operating more like an introvert than an extrovert most of the time. And for you introverts, that should be shouting hallelujah territory for you because 75% of the world is made up of introverts, but the extroverts pretty much get all the airtime. When I'm in a round table with my leadership or the staff or a small group, I've got to protect the introverts from me and all the other extroverts in the room. And I, I literally do this. Okay, all extroverts, shut up. An introvert might want to say something. I literally do that. And I find God operating more like an introvert. My wife is an introvert. I mean, I'm, I'm a full-blown, if you haven't noticed, a full-blown the pendulum slamming against the wall over here, extrovert. My wife is a pendulum slamming against the wall, introvert. And when we first got together, trying to learn her was like, it was like, I had to be like, it's like being an investigator. You have to be a like forensic scientist to figure out what the heck is going on in there. I remember when we first started dating, I mean, I, I got this uh, card in the mail because it was a long-distance relationship, and it was thanking me for my kindness and graciousness or the gift or whatever. And I'm reading this card. To me, it was like out of the blue. It was out of nowhere. It's like, I don't know what I did. This is weird. And then I would think and think and think. I thought, well, two weeks ago, I did this for her. But certainly this card couldn't be relating to that event because that was two weeks ago. But sure enough, when I talked to her, the card was her response to something I did two weeks ago. Now, for an extrovert, a minute ago was so yesterday. And, see, introverts actually think before they speak. This is what throws extroverts off. (laughs) Like when we first got married, it was on Monday, and I said, hey, you know, we ought to go to Julian on Saturday. And uh, so then on Saturday, uh, Hope is getting dressed like she's going somewhere. And I said, where are you going? She said, well, you said we were going to go to Julian. I said, what? When? She said, Monday. When we were in the car, you said, hey, let's go to Julian on Saturday. I was like, I was just throwing ideas out there and seeing which ones we liked. That is not where she, how she lives her life. It came out of your mouth. You need to be a man of integrity. I'm like, what? It's a weird world. 
I find God operating more like an introvert than an extrovert, and you need to detect his signs. He likes to play hide-and-seek like we talked last week. That's, that's just a sliver of point one. You can learn a little more by listening to last week's message on that particular point. Today, I want to move into point two, and this is something that might really shock you. I, in fact, I know it probably will for some of you. And I'm, I, I suspect that some of you might have a hard time, and I mean this, I'm not being uh, facetious. You might have a hard time um, digesting this one. So at least consider what I'm about to say to you. Because I, I believe with every fiber of my being. And I think it will bring tremendous healing into your friendship with God. A relationship is a two-way street, right? I believe, point number two, that God enjoys your presence. You see, we're so riddled with shame and an awareness, an acute awareness of our ugliness that we are absolutely astounded, first of all, that God loves us. I mean, most of us are still trying to get over that hurdle. The agape love of God, which is the unconditional love of God, which is a non-responsive love, meaning I don't love you because of who you are. I don't love you because of what you do. I don't love you because of something about you that is so beautiful it has drawn me to you. That is not agape. Agape love is I love you even though you are a nasty, pathetic mess. Why would you love me? I don't know, because I am love is really the answer to that. God's love, that's, that is, that is the, that's the message of the gospel, that God's love is not conditional on our loveliness. We sing it, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, and when you and I connect with the agape love of God, we stop trying to earn his love because that's foolishness. Because it's not a love that can be earned. It's called grace. If you earned it, you didn't, it's not grace anymore. And so this is why that human love thing I was talking about earlier, like with the social media and all that, and, and, and us trying to get other people to love us. That's why women stay in abusive relationships because when his or her perception of you is that you are pathetic, then you try to earn their love by changing them and becoming what they want you to be so that they will finally love you. Well, you see, the love of God shatters all of that because God loves you and I simply because He is love and then we get caught up in His agape. But there's a whole nother dimension of God's love that we do not hear much about. And this is the one I want to drill down on for the next few moments. I want you to go to the book of Luke with me, chapter 10, verse 38. And today, I I want to talk to you about a different dimension of the love of God that you may not think much about. I just talked to you about the agape love of God, and I don't want the definition up on the screen yet for this next kind of love. I just, want to, I just want to mention it to you, and then we're going to read a little bit about it and put it in context. 
I just talked to you about the agape love of God. But there's a whole other dimension of the love of God that you and I might not be familiar with, and I want us to become familiar with it. And that is the phileo love of God. The phileo love of God is the friendship love. It's the I like you love. Now, you see, I just lost most of you, right? God may not like everything you and I do, but he likes who you are. Because he created you and I in his image. He created us for friendship. How would you like to be in a friendship where the person didn't like you very much? Would you call that a friendship? No, you don't hang out with people you don't like. You're not friends with people you don't like. At best, you have to tolerate them if you have to be in the same classroom, the same sports team, the same family, the same neighborhood, the same church. That's why you sit on the other side. You avoid them in the hallway. If you happen to end up in the bathroom together, God forbid, you just go into the stall, close the door, wait till they leave. I don't like that person very much. Oh, I love them with the love of the Lord. I don't like them. There's a difference. We think it's strange to suggest that God would like us. And yet, God came down from heaven to earth as a human being and struck up friendships with people. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Isn't this amazing? This destroys religion. Just crushes and annihilates religiosity. You're not religious with a friend. You don't get together with a friend and say, oh, how art thou today, my friend? Like, that would just be so weird. And I think that's what Jesus says. That is so weird the way you're talking to me right now. Let's look at a couple of Jesus' friends when he lived on the earth. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that, now it happened as they went, this is Jesus and his crew, his disciples, his ministry team, his friends. Now it happened as they went through that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. God will respond to your and my overtures of friendship. I really want you to grab a hold of that. Because you're going to find out that it's true as you begin making overtures of friendship with Jesus. I remember one time, some of you have heard the story, but it, it, it bears repeating. I uh, took two, a two-week break, which I do periodically, um, and uh, just take a little rest, a little sabbatical. And it was clear at the end of this break what had happened, and that is, especially for a preacher, the Bible says to give double honor to those who labor in the Word and prayer. So for a pastor, uh, the Word and prayer can be labor. It can be work. Because obviously I don't always go to the Word just to feed myself. I'm going here to feed you, so I have to be diligent with it. And I have to study it and I have to, you know, create messages and 
think about how it applies to your life. That's, that's hard work. You get a blank sheet of paper every week, and you got to start from scratch. It's like writing a song or writing a poem every single week. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of art, I hope. Uh, and prayer. It's not just me communing with God. It's me praying for your lives and praying for your walk with God, praying against the enemy for you and my family. I mean, it's labor. And so that can become the definition of a preacher's spiritual life if he or she's not careful. And so when I took a two-week break, all I did was watch movies, eat pizza, and sleep. That was it for two solid weeks. Sound a little bit like heaven on earth? It kind of was. I loved it. It was awesome, you know. But I was exhausted, and I was just trying to decompress and disconnect. The problem is I did not read the Word, and I did not pray once in that two-week period. <gasps> I know. Horrible. Wickedness. And I got off my two-week break, and the first meeting I came back to was a Wednesday night prayer meeting with the intercessors, and I'm just praying and getting back into the mix with my friends, and we're praying, and Francisco has to pop off with a prophetic vision, and he says, I see John. I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to take the world by storm with the power of God. What is it going to be? He says, I see you, and you're standing, in, standing there with your books in your hands, and a school bus pulls up and you're about to get on the bus and i'm thinking okay i get it yeah i study and this you know i'm a student of the word and i'm about ready to go back to work and going to teach the body of christ and he says and now i see a, a two-seater convertible pulling up right next to the bus and jesus is in the driver's seat and jesus wants to say to you john i'm fun too great. I get rebuked on my first day back on the job. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Francisco didn't know that I kicked Jesus to the curb for two weeks, but Jesus did. He wanted to take a two-week break with me. Some good stuff, isn't it? Some good stuff going on in here today, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are saying amen and some of you are saying, oh me. Because you view God through that kind of a lens also. Only good things happen when you invite Jesus into your life as a friend. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, because not everybody else in that town had the opportunity to invite Jesus to their house, but they were too busy, didn't even recognize him, or just wanted something from him. And that's where most of us live. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to have miracles. They wanted to have their, you know, their teachings from Jesus, the rabbi. But to invite him into my home, hmm, a little bit too close for comfort for me. But not for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus, the rabbi, came walking through and they invited him into their home. Do you genuinely, sincerely invite Jesus into your car on the way to work, on the way to school, into your bedroom, into your workplace, onto the sports field? Every nook and cranny of our lives, 
not as God, but as Jesus, my friend. One time Mark asked the Lord, when do you have fun? Isn't that an interesting question to ask God? See, that's a friend asking a friend. That's a friendship question. I mean, who asks God when he has fun? That's kind of a weird question. Unless you have a friendship with him. Yes. How do you experience play? Okay. How do you experience play? And you know what the Lord's response was? Can anybody guess what his response was? He said, very close. He said, when you do. Do you really think God needed a planet? And do you really think he needed a human race? No. He created us for fellowship. Isn't it weird that we would leave him to the side? People think it's strange that we hear, quote, the voice of God. I think it's a travesty. They don't. People think it's weird to talk about God in public. I think it's really strange for the creation not to talk about the creator all the time everywhere. It's weird to be disconnected from God. It's become the norm only because we've rebelled against God. So it's kind of normal to disconnect from God and 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 what we're talking about intimacy and friendship and hanging out with him is like so far from people's reality but really that's the most normal you could ever be god walked with adam in the cool of the day in the garden that god created god creates a garden and he creates a man and a woman and he walks with them in the cool of the day That's why God created us. And then when they rebelled, God then said, put a tent out there and I'll meet you in the tent. God just wants to be with us. And then once they were done with the tent, he said, build a box. I'll live in a box and just carry the box around. I just want to be with you guys. Then he came down to the earth as a human being and hung out with us, which we're reading about now. And then after he left, he sent his Holy Spirit To live inside of our soul. So now you're the box. Now you're the tent. And he walks through life with you and I. Come on. This is good stuff this morning. Yeah. This is the gospel. And because of the friendship that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus extended to Jesus, Jesus came to love them as friends. So you remember when Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I'm sorry, when Jesus said to his first followers, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. For everything the Father's told me, I've revealed to you. Well, they're dead and gone. They're in heaven. So who's Jesus going to reveal everything to now? Whoever wants it. I no longer call you servants. I put that at the camaraderie stage, the third level of friendship. I no longer call you my, just my teammates doing the Great Commission together, I call you my friends because I tell you everything. Really? Wow.
they became so comfortable with Jesus. To the point where familiarity could even breed contempt. You guys heard that term before? This can actually happen with us in God, and He lets it happen. He deals with it, but that's the, that is the risk of familiarity, is that we become so familiar with our boss, our pastor, our mother, our father, people in authority, that we forget about the authority. And this happened to the Son of God, where Martha, in this particular passage, for those that know the passage, rebuked Jesus, God in the flesh. Don't you care that my sister's not helping me? Tell her to help me with the chores. Woo! Wow. Peter rebuking Jesus. Oh, no, you're not going to the cross. God allows himself to become so human and so tangible and so real in our lives that we can become so familiar with him, we could actually think we can correct him. He takes care of that, but he allows himself to be that familiar. I remember I was in a pastoral meeting one time, and this pastor said, I had a vision, I had a dream. In this dream, Jesus came on his horse. He had a sword drawn, and he came right up to me, and he looked down at me, and I looked up, and he said, the thing that shocked me was there was no error, no look of, no attitude of superiority to me. It was like we were equal. This other pastor who's in the meeting who has an incredible grip on the grace of God and the message I'm talking to you right now, he said to the other pastor, I'm shocked that you're shocked. That's the gospel. I mean, here's God kicking it on their couch. Probably had his sovereign foot up on their coffee table, just kicking back. In their living room. God. Jesus, who is quite capable of overwhelming people with his presence, was informal and easy in their company. Let's go to the book of John chapter 11. And we look at the second time. Well, not the second time. Second time recorded that Jesus is at their house. And I'm going to now drill down on this um, phileo. Jesus, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home became his go-to house. When he would go through Bethany, which he did often because it was close to Jerusalem, in between Galilee where Jesus was born and raised, when he would go through Bethany, he would go to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. Can you, can you see this breaking down of this, religious, this religiosity where we think Jesus walks through villages and he's kind of stiff and religious and God? And he's like, no, he's walking through Beth, and he's like, let's go to to Lazarus' house, man. They treat us good over there. And man, Martha can cook. Mary doesn't do much. She just kind of (laughs) worships. Yeah. But I like it because she actually listens to me. I'm not sure Martha's getting much of anything, but Lazarus is cool. In fact, I'm going to really raise him from the dead sometime soon, but I'll tell you more about that later. I I mean, he just, he was human. And God, I know, but he was human, had all the same passions and feelings and desires. And friendship is one of those desires. Let's look at what happens in 
John chapter 11 with Jesus. Now a certain man, verse 1, was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. We're going to keep reading down. I'm going to expound. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not in the death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, which obviously he meant he was going to heal him. Now Jesus loved Martha. Now Jesus loved Martha. You see that in verse 3? Lord, he whom you love. And then verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And then we go down to verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now I want to show you these two words. The first one that we're looking at here in love in this chapter says, whom Jesus loved, and it says that he loved Lazarus. Look at what this word love Beyond Lord, whom you love is sick, is the word phileo, which I was talking about a few minutes ago. It literally means to be fond of, to care for affectionately, to cherish, to take pleasure in, have personal attachment for. It is a, it's the brotherly love, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love from. It's phileo. It's the emotional, affectionate, I love you, man, kind of love. And then you look at the word friend that he used. Lazarus, our friend. And look what the word, look at the Greek word for the word friend. Isn't that interesting? Philos comes from the same Greek verb. Affectionate friend. Love of emotion and friendship. Can you believe, like and this is a sincere question. Can you believe? That God loves you, Toby, like that. I mean, can you really believe that, Chris? Can you believe that, that Jesus would have a fond, affectionate, that he would take pleasure in you, Chris? See, that's the hard one right there. He would take pleasure in you. Brian, can you do it? Can you believe that? That you are, in Jesus' mind, his affectionate friend. Mary, can you believe this? Mike, I mean, can you really be walking down the street and believe that Jesus is with you and that he actually considers you one of his buddies? Is this too familiar? Is this disrespectful that we would see God this way? Is it too close for comfort? Are you frightened to believe this and have this kind of intimate friendship with Jesus? I hope not, or I hope not anymore after you've heard this message, that you would think about this. Read this story and realize that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are gone, and that they weren't any better than you. These three, it's an odd situation because in this culture, 
for three people, brothers and sisters, to be living together and not to be married and to own their own home and have a home large enough to house Jesus and his crew every time they came through town. Some say they they must have been orphans that were well-to-do because it was just odd for them to have this kind of scenario in that culture at that time. They were probably teenagers or early 20s at best. And Jesus became friends with them. Jesus wants to do your artwork with you. He wants to be with you at work and help you fix, analyze those problems and find solutions to those situations. He loves that. We used to have a carpenter in our church that does crown molding. And there was this angle of the crown moldings that came through. It was Chris Larkin's dad. And he could, he could, not, he could not figure out the angles of these, like the ceiling. Was, it was a high-end home with his arch ceilings. And, and he, couldn't figure out the, he, he couldn't figure out the angles to cut the ground molding. And then that night he had a dream where Jesus wrote out the actual mathematical. You know Jesus was a carpenter, right? How much fun do you think the Holy Spirit had giving Tim that dream? And he wakes up, he writes down what he dreamed and went back to work and he cut the wood according to the dimensions and it went, fit together perfectly. Lily, he wants to be behind your hand when you serve that volleyball and puts the opponent on their butt. And if they're a Christian, they just need to pray. That they can return. If they're not a Christian, out of luck. Sorry. I don't believe that. Stop. But he does, he does want to serve with us. He wants to run with us. He wants to play with us. He wants to work with us. He wants to laugh with us. He wants to cry with us. And he already does all these things. We just don't believe it. We don't believe it. That he would be that familiar and yet he is this is what i believe about jesus i believe jesus is the best friend you will ever have on this side of heaven i also believe jesus is the one who walks in when everyone else walks out I believe Jesus is the one that gives you hope when there is no hope. Jesus, over and over and over again, proves to us his friendship. Now it's your turn. Now it's our turn. Will we act as a friend in return to his overtures of friendship. So I want to close this morning by asking you to ask Jesus this question. And I want to give us about a minute for you after you ask this question just to listen to what the Holy Spirit might say to you in response to the question. I'm going to tell you what the question is. I'm going to tell you a time that I asked this question as this revelation was being drilled down into me by the lord and it propelled me forward in my in this kind of a walk with god once this began to really settle in to my 
my thinking and my definition of my relationship with God. And I believed it. I was so overwhelmed by the revelation of what we just learned today. That I got on my knees and I asked the Lord this question. Jesus, how can I be your friend? Now, this is what he said back to me. Care for the things that I care about. I care about Hindus in India. Will you go there and tell them about me? That's one of the things that motivated me to go into missions. I care about the Muslims in Ethiopia. Will you go tell them about me? Because he's in, Jesus is in heaven and... There are people that don't know him in Ethiopia and India. Care for, as a nurse would care for a sick patient. Care for the things that I care about. That's that's how I care for you. I care for you because Jesus cares about you. So while he's in heaven and we're here as your shepherd, I care for your souls. Care for your wife. Care for your children. So that's his response to me. But he could respond to you in a thousand different ways. And so I want you to ask him that question with me this morning, if you would. I want you to ask him right now where you are, whether you're here in this church or you're watching online or you're listening online, just stop for a moment and ask the Lord this question and then just get quiet. Jesus, well, first, I'm sorry. No, I just felt like the the Lord interrupted me. The first step, is that you would choose to believe what you heard today. Choose to believe right now to expand your definition of your relationship with almighty, all-powerful God as also your friend. I'm going to let that just sink in for a moment. I'm not going to rush this, so I encourage you to take advantage of this moment as I'm coaching you in this moment. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to help you expand your definition of your relationship with God, not just as Father, but as friend. As you're doing this, religious walls are coming down. Your heart is becoming more tender and accessible because he's a friend that you can trust. Now, in this friendship, which is a two-way relationship, I now want to ask you to ask the Lord. And I want you to really ask Him sincerely and really listen for what He might pop into your mind or a picture or a vision or a thought. Just ask Him. Say, Jesus, how can I be your friend?
Okay, now he usually speaks pretty quickly. So I want to ask, who feels like the Lord actually responded to your question and put a thought in your mind? Okay. Francisco, what did he say to you? Listen to me. Doesn't a friend listen to another friend when he's talking? If not, you're not going to hang out with that person very much because they just do all the talking and they never listen, right? Over here. Trust me. Chris, get to know those around you. How can I be your friend, Jesus? Get to know those around you. How do you think that ties into a friendship with Jesus, Chris? shares his love with others. So he's going to share his love with others through you, through the vehicle of you getting to know them. That's very cool. One of the teenagers told me this week, you know what I love about Chris? He sits down next to you and asks you about your life, and I can tell he really cares. So just do more of what the Lord just told you to do. Somebody else, what do you feel like the Lord may have just responded to you? Because you know He is alive and He does still talk, right? Rob, you got to spend time with me. Whatever that means in your life, Rob, do it, man. Do it this week. I'm telling you, your joy level is going to go up and your walk with the Lord, you're going to have a skip in your step. It's amazing. Somebody else, what do you feel like the Lord may have said to you? Over here. Talk about me more out loud. Yeah. I mean, are you ashamed of your friend? You don't want to talk to your to people about your, your best friend? It's not like some weird cousin you hope doesn't come over for the holidays. We are talking about God. Somebody else. Right here. Be a friend. How can I be your friend, Jesus? Be a friend. A couple more. Somebody else. Mark. Think the best of me boom drop the mic wow wow how can I be your friend Jesus think the best of me one more over here receive my love oh my gosh yeah how can you have a friendship Boy, that's a big one. That's a big one. That's a big one. Why don't we just all stand?